Several years ago now, I was invited to a lunch at the National Christian Foundation with like a handful of pastors from Broward County. And um, it was hosted by Stefan Chavidjian. A lot of you guys probably know Stefan, and he is the president of the National Christian Foundation. And the purpose of the lunch was entirely relational. In other words, he said, look, I'm friends with a lot of you guys individually, but you know, you guys don't really know each other the way that I think that you should. So I'm going to start hosting lunches maybe once a quarter and just pull you guys together and just get you in the same room. So no agenda, get to know each other. And it's a brilliant move. A lot of wonderful and amazing things have come from that. A lot of great relationships have come from that. But I remember early on, like one of the one of the lunches that we were at, uh, Stefan said, you know, you guys are pastors in the community. What are you hearing? What are you sensing? Uh, what are some of the big issues and challenges that we have? And I, I think a lot of the stuff that we threw out there would be the things that you would throw out there. So, you know, I think we'd all say homelessness. That's a big issue in Broward, certainly in Fort Lauderdale, especially. And we talked about foster care. That's a big issue. We talked about the sex trade. That's a big issue. But Bishop Clarence Glover was there. He was one of the pastors. And I'll never forget, it, he kind of spoke up, and then in about six or eight minutes, he gave us the most concise and complete education on an issue in our city, in our county, and frankly, in our nation that I didn't even know existed. And I say that somewhat to my shame. And I remember sitting there in awe, just listening to this man speak, and I'm thinking to myself, good grief, I, I have got to get to know this man. And God in His grace has kind of worked that out over the years. We've developed a very sweet and a very close relationship, particularly the last three or four years as we've become a, become a lot more intentional about meeting together and, and just kind of sharing life together. And so we get together, you know, we have lunch together. We talk about all kinds of things. We talk about leadership issues. We talk about soul care. We've talked about racial issues. And the only reason I say that is because today is the one-year anniversary of the tragedy in Charlottesville. And a year ago on this day, uh, we made a we made quite a statement about that. And I need to learn. I need to know. So that's been helpful. But this man has become very dear to me, and I love and respect and admire him very much. Uh, Bishop Glover has been the senior pastor of Mount Bethel Baptist Church, which is a historic church, guys, in our city. And it is historic, I'm just going to say it, I think in large part because of the leadership that he has brought to it. Uh, he has brought great vision. He has brought, frankly, I think, great faith to that ministry. And through that great faith, God has done remarkable and amazing things. He and his wife together founded uh, Mount Bethel Christian Academy uh, 28 years ago. Uh, they founded um, Mount Bethel Human Services Corporation, which at the end of our service, you're going to get to hear some of the things that they do. But they do amazing and incredible ministry to this people group called the least and the lost and the left out. I picked that up from Clarence years ago, the least, the lost and the left out. And I remember taking a tour of their campus probably 10 years ago and driving through a neighborhood and looking at all the houses that these guys have built, houses plural and not like five, like lots and I drove home humbled by what the Lord has done through these guys and through Clarence's leadership. It's remarkable and amazing. So a couple of lunches ago, I said, listen, I would be so blessed. I think our people would be so blessed. I'd love it if they could just meet you and maybe just hear from your heart and hear a message from you. Would you consider coming to Rio? Because he's got a lot of stuff going on and, you know, he's busy here and he's asked to speak at a lot of different places. And he said, Tom, I'd love to do that. And so we put our calendars together and this was the date that worked. And so I am really excited 
and frankly, very honored uh, that he would be here today. And so if you would help me to, to welcome up uh, my friend, uh, Bishop Clarence Glover. Well, in the words of Alfred Hitchcock, still, good morning. <laughs> uh, thank you so very much. We honor God today. We, we certainly give honor to our pastor, to Tom. Um, I really thank him again for this, for that wonderful introduction. And I appreciate it so very, very much. I pray that I can live up to all of that. Um, and um, of course, I enjoyed it. I really did. I, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I want to say that, as I said earlier, having the opportunity to not only meet your pastor, meet Tom, but having the opportunity to spend time with him and to be able to share my heart with him and hearing him share his heart about the things of God, about this church, about his family um, has meant so much to me. It has helped me tremendously and I'm just excited about the fact that God so navigated human history that at this time in my life and this time in my ministry, he allowed me to meet Tom. And I, I just pray that you would just join me in giving God just a great big hand for this brother, your pastor, this great man of God. Honor his lovely wife and his family, and to all of you, my brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's just so good to be here. I have my younger brother, we used to call him a baby brother, he's the baby of the family, um, Rosby Glover, who is the executive director of Mount Bethel Human Services Corporation. He came with me today. Um, to share some insights with you, and I'm just grateful to have Rosby here, just a great brother. Does a lot of work in this community. <laughs> Amen. And um, I told the early service, listen now, um, I know I'm overdressed, I know, I know that. I know you're looking at me and saying, man, I, I know I am, but I, I had to do a couple of things this morning. One, I, had, I was up at five o'clock, I had to go to the radio station, I had, to, I had an interview at 6.30, I had an interview at 6.30, they taped it, et cetera, and then I had a few other things I had to do. And the other thing is, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight, I'm trying to lose some weight, and uh, told the early service, um, my pants are a little too, little too big, and so uh, they might start sliding down, and, <laughs> and there's some stuff up in here I don't want anybody seeing right now. So, so I'm just, uh, so just, just forgive me for being a little overdressed, but that's the way it is, and I'm just glad to be among you. And I'm taking you back to, Fort, to Mount Bethel, and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say to our folk, listen, um, uh, it's okay, you can come to church with some shorts on, some short pants on, and some, and some um, 
Yeah, yeah, this, you, you, all have, you all have liberated me this morning. I'm not going to wear any, but you liberated me today. So if it doesn't do anything else, it, it's going to bless our people because, amen. Listen, I'm not going to take a lot, a lot of your time, a lot more of your time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really from, I'm from the country. I, I'm, I'm a call and response preacher, but it's okay. I've learned, uh, I've learned how to. I learned how to adjust uh, to any situation. Um, I'm, from the, I'm from the call and response thing, you know, where people say amen. But I understand, I understand. That's, you, you don't say amen. So I, I got a lot of them up here. So, you know, I'm, I'll be all right. So, amen. <laughs> amen. I was going to tell you, let's practice this. So, so but then I, then I would have to tell you when to say it. No, no, I, I'll just plan. I'll just plan. I'll just plan. Let's see. Um, there's this word that I shared today, and I want to share this word with you. I, I believe it's a, it's a word that will be a blessing to, to, to all of us. It is found in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, the verse, first 11 verses. I'm not going to read all 11 verses. Let me just read a few verses beginning at verse 2. It says these words. And I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in Adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, they continued asking him, what are you going to, what do you say about this? He raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. Verse 10, and when he had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman and he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no, no more. I recently read a story about a little boy who, who wanted to buy a puppy from a farmer who had puppies for sale. Um, the little boy only had 30, 30 cents. But the man told him, um, since you want to buy one of these puppies, 30 cents would be a good selling price. And so he let out this whistle and he called uh, Dolly. And out from the doghouse, ran Dolly followed by four beautiful little puppies. The little boy pressed his face to the fence 
against the fence, his eyes danced with delight. However, the little boy noticed something, something else stirring in the doghouse. Slowly, another puppy ran, ran out. He was smaller than the others. Um, he hobbled toward the, the other little puppies. And the boy looked at him and he said to the farmer, I want that one. Farmer said, son, you, you really don't want that one. You couldn't possibly want that one. He, he would never be able to run with you. He would never be able to play with you like these other dogs would be able to do. The little boy then pulled up the leg of his pants. And in doing so, he revealed a steel brace running down both sides of, of his right leg and attaching itself to a specially made shoe. He said to the farmer, he says, you see, mister, I don't run well myself. And he will need someone who understands. Well, sinners and saints both need someone who understands them. Who loves them as they are. I'm not saying that. He loves our sin, or condones our sin, no. He hates our sin, but he loves us. Because he knows what we're made of. According to the Bible, Psalm 103, verse 14, the Bible says he knows our frame and remembers that we are but dust. And so today, I want to just talk for a few moments from the subject, someone who understands. Someone who understands. In the context, Jesus is teaching in the temple. And a group of men from out of nowhere brought a woman, dragged a woman who had been caught in adultery with some unknown man. The Bible says, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching in the temple. He's teaching the things of God. And this, these men dragged this woman in front of Jesus and said, we brought her to you. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, the focus was not really on the woman, but on Jesus. They wanted, they wanted to entrap Jesus. They wanted to, to, to uh, do whatever they could to um, make sure that, that Jesus' uh, reputation with the people was damaged. And they did not care if they destroyed her reputation. If she were married, they did not care if they destroyed her marriage. They did not care if they destroyed her family. They, they were not concerned about her. They were con she was just a pawn in their scheme to trap Jesus. They, they cared more about trapping Jesus, who they hated, than they did about this woman who they marched in front of the church, in front of the temple. 
and accused her of adultery. Just three things I want to look at real quickly. You see the accusation of the men. The first thing they did, they, they described her sin. Here's what they said. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. But then they not only described her sin, they defined the law. They said, now Moses in the law commanded us that such be stoned. And then they, they demanded a decision. They said, but what do you say? Now, she got caught in adultery. We brought her here. The law says she should be stoned. But what do you say? They, they knew the law very well. They, 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 they quoted part of it. They quoted Leviticus 20, 20, where the Bible says, and a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, both shall be put to death. The question is, where was the, where was the man? Where was he? Why, wasn't he? why wasn't he brought? I mean, since you, I mean, under normal circumstances, as far as I know, you cannot physically commit adultery with someone by yourself. There has to be a partner. So where was, where was the guy? <laughs> yeah, you got it just in time. I mean, you, you were on cue. Where was the guy? Where was the guy? Now, there may be some possible reasons he was not there. Could have been he escaped. Don't know. Could have been he was just a part of the plot to entrap Jesus. Could have been he just simply bought off his accusers. The problem is he was not there. And so the sin of adultery was not the issue. If that was the issue, they would have brought both parties, but they wanted to trap and embarrass Jesus. They thought they had Jesus caught in into what is called a horn of dilemma. Because, see, if Jesus had said stone her, he would lose the people. His reputation of being a friend of sinners and publicans would have been shot all to pieces. He would have also been criticized for not having mercy and compassion. Uh, he, he would have been guilty of breaking the Roman law, which did not consider adultery worthy of death. So if he said, stone her, he would have lost his reputation as someone who loves people, who was a sin friend of sinners and publicans. If he had said she should go free, he would be going against and contradicting the law. He would also be uh, accused of being too lenient with sin. They thought they had Jesus trapped. The Bible says this they said testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. And so we see the accusation of the men but we see the answer of the Christ. The Bible says watch this but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And they kept pressuring Jesus and Jesus wrote something on the ground he responded to that question by first writing on the ground and this is the only record of Jesus writing anything and yet more have been written by him about him than any other person in the history of the world and and as I said earlier morning I, I've often wondered 
what he wrote. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those inquisitive guys. When I read the Bible, I'm always asking God questions. And sometimes he answers what I, in the way I thought he should. In the other way, the other times they say, well, you got it all wrong. But I, answer, I always ask questions. So I wondered, what did Jesus write on the ground? Well, since commentaries are nothing but comments, on the biblical text, I just thought I'd add my comments. And I figured I could at least ask this question. And so let me give you a couple of things that I think Jesus may have written on the ground. Now, he, he probably didn't write this, but this is what I think he may have written. He may have written the name, written the name of a town where some of these brothers had slipped away to sow their wild oats. He could have written someone's name who would have been recognized immediately by either one or more of them. Or he could have just simply written forgiven. Don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote, but whatever he wrote suddenly got their attention. And the thing I love about God, he has a way of getting our attention but not only did he write on the ground he spoke to the accusers he said these words in essence he said stones can be cast at her he said i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have a problem with you stoning her Go, it, 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 stones can be cast at her but there, there are certain limitations he that is without sin throw the stone he who is not guilty of this sin, either in act, mind, or heart, throw the stone. Want to throw it? Make sure you are sinless in this area. He that is without sin in any area of your life, you throw the stone. There they are. You have them. Just pick one up. Throw it. We cool, but, but make sure you are without sin. Now watch this. These were scribes. These were Pharisees. These were the religious elite. But Jesus wanted them to know that casting stones is not based upon how much scripture you know. It's not based upon how great your calling and your gifts are. It's not based upon what your position in church may be. It is based upon moral goodness and perfection. It's based upon moral goodness and perfection. And no one has achieved that quality except Jesus. And so what did he do? He exposed them for what they were. A bunch of hypocrites. And unfortunately, some of the most critical people, are pe not, not you now, no, please, please, please now, please, please hit me, I'm, I want you to, please, please, not you. Some of the most critical people are people in the church. So some of the most critical people are people in the church. They worship, they lift up 
quote unquote, holy hands, while at the same time castigating, criticizing those who really need to experience the love of Christ. Who really need to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And in many instances, people come to the church and come to people who, quote unquote, saved and loved God. Instead of going away, experiencing the experience, experiencing the forgiveness of God. They leave with the awful words, I went to the church and they couldn't help me. They criticized me for simply being who I am. But they did not help me to move from who I am and where I am to where God wants me to be. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, he said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. At this point in the story, um, all the shouting about stoning her came to a halt. And all that was heard was rocks dropping on the ground and the shuffling of feet as they were trying to get out of there as quickly as they could. They came face to face with themselves. And the Bible says they, they left from the oldest to the youngest. The older brothers, once Jesus started writing on the ground, they saw what Jesus was doing and they got out early. The younger brothers, it took them a little while for them to figure it out. But sooner or later, all of them figured out that we are in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. So, so, so we have Jesus's, we have Jesus's uh, answer to, to, the, to those who were the accusers. But then we have, lastly, the Lord's acquittal of this woman. The men came to condemn her. Jesus wanted her forgiven. And listen to me, Jesus was the only one qualified to throw stones at her, but Jesus refused to do so. The Bible says in verse 10, when he had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one accused you? Look at what she says. She says, no one, Lord. She reached a point, at, 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 as one writer wrote, she reached a place in her life where it was just her and Jesus. It was just her and Jesus. And it always comes down to that, my brothers and sisters. Eventually, somewhere, someday, you are going to come face to face with Jesus. You're going to have to face him. And what you do when that happens can be the difference between spending eternity with him or eternity apart from him. Notice what she does. She calls him Lord. By her simple confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, 
salvation became hers. And the Bible, because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus saw her heart and her faith. He did not say, he did not say, sin no more and I won't condemn you. He did not say, do this no more and I won't condemn you. He did not say, from this moment on, walk the straight and narrow. He says, it, it, and then I won't condemn you. He says, I don't condemn you. Sin no more. He says, based upon the fact that I don't condemn you, appreciate what I have done and sin no more. Now, notice he was not saying commit. No, because all of us, the Bible said, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. All of us do something, say something, think something every day that is contrary to the will of God. Well, let me put it this way. I, every day, mess this thing up. Every day, I go contrary to the will of God. I'm not saying I willfully do it, but every day I'm, some thoughts pop in my mind that should not be there. Some words come out of my mouth that should not come out. Some critical things come out of my heart, come out of my mind that should not come out. Every day I have to go before God for cleansing. So he's not saying go and sin no more. He's going, he's saying don't do this anymore. And, and, and as much as you can walk upright before me. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Look at what he did. He did two things. He, he covered her, then he corrected her. And the thing I love about God, the thing I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he acknowledged her sin. He did excuse it because there was no excuse. But he did not cover it up. Also, he forgave her. He gave her a balanced message. He told her, I don't condemn you. Go forward and don't do this again. Balanced. Not don't do this again and I won't condemn you. No, no, no. I don't condemn you. I'm not going to do what others want to do. But you go and sin no more. Listen, let me close this. I don't know how long this woman had been shackled. And bound by sin. I'm sure this was not her first time experiencing what she was experiencing. I don't know how long she had been a prisoner of her own lust and her own desires. All I know is that once she met Jesus, he unlocked the shackles that held her bound in sin. Once she met him, she was set free. That, that's the good news. He gave her favor after her failure. And, 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 that, that, and I said earlier, that's, that's what he did for me. He gave me favor after my failure because I've not always been this way. I've not always been a preacher of the gospel. I've not always pastored the church. And even afterwards, I, I still have blown it sometimes. But I thank God that 
he was able to reach down where I was, pick me up, and, and gave me favor after my failure. How many of you, if that, is there anyone in here today that's just glad that you serve someone who understands and who, will give, who gives you favor after your failure? You don't have to say amen. You can just slip your hand up. That'll be all right with me. That you are just glad today that God gave you favor after your failure. I have a friend. I have a friend that I finished. She loves to go into out of way places. If she comes from Daytona to Fort Lauderdale, she very seldom drives 95. She always goes some of the back roads, go down some of the back roads and she loves looking for things, furniture, whatever it is, that others consider unusable. And she loves getting these things, taking them back home, and restoring them. She takes things that others consider unusable, and she restores them and make them usable again. Jesus specializes in taking ruined and wasted lives and by his grace saving them and setting them free. Every person who comes to him for salvation gets a new lease own life. Paul says it like this therefore if any man be in Christ he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things uh, have become new. Old things are consistently passing away. Continually passing away and all things are continually becoming new. It might be just like this woman. Your life may have been wrecked may have been ruined. Maybe you've been hurt by religious people. I don't know. Maybe you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And you need a savior who understands. You need a savior who can give you a brand new lease on life. Because the Bible says this about Jesus. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He says, you do not have a Savior who do not understand what it is to be tempted. Yet he's without sin. You have someone who understands. Thank God we have a Savior who understands. The late James Montgomery Boyce, who was a senior pastor of um, 10th, Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was an outstanding theologian. He, he wrote uh, you know, books on uh, commentaries on Matthew uh, and John. And I'm sure he wrote many others. But here's what he said about this particular text. He says, you must put yourself at some place in this story. Let me just say, this story is not simply about this woman. 
It's not simply about hypocrites in, in the church. It's not simply about them. It's not just some Bible story that, that, that ends well for her. He says, you've got to put yourself at some place in this story. You need to ask yourself, are you like the crowd who stood watching and saw these men drag this woman into church and said or did nothing? They witnessed salvation, but they never received it. Or are you like the rulers? They were sinners just like this woman, but they went away from Jesus without even hearing the words of forgiveness. Or finally, are you like the woman who not only heard but received Jesus' message? Boyce concluded with these words. Of all who were there that day by far, the best one to be is the woman. Even though her life was a mess, even though she had been bound by sin, she was forgiven. She was forgiven by and through Christ, who only a few months later died for her sin and died for yours, whoever you might be. And today, I just want to reintroduce him to some of you. He loves you more than you can ever believe. Christ loves you and he wants to deliver us from anything that keeps us from being all that God wants us to be. And that's fully human. He wants to keep us. He wants to deliver us from anything that has us in bondage today. He wants to deliver us and set us free. He died on Calvary for our sins and he was, he was resurrected on that third day. And today he still lives and he has, he has the power to save. He has the power to deliver. He has the power to set us free. And I invite us to come to him today. He says in his word, the person who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. I told the early, early worshipers, there's this lady by the name of Dottie Rambo. I don't know if you ever heard of her. She's, she's, a, she wrote, she's written a whole lot of songs. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, she wrote the song, He Looked Beyond My Faults and Saw My Need. Dottie Rambo. But there's this song that she wrote that says these words. It says, she says, come boldly to stand in his presence. Lay claim to the promise that he made. Beneath the floor of his fountain, his blood washes all guilt away. He watches the fall of the sparrow. Concerned with the lilies so fair, how much more he cares for the sheep of his pasture, so bring him the burdens you bear. And the chorus says these words, bring all your needs to the altar. Bring all your needs 
to the Lord. He is so willing and able to help you bring all your needs to the Lord. Doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter how bad you may think they are. He is willing and he is able to help you. And he's willing to set us free. Bow your heads. Father, we bless your name again. We thank you again for this word. These are written words. But God, our prayer is they become living words in our hearts and minds. That we put ourselves in this text. And that we recognize that no matter how far we may have fallen from you. We cannot fall so far that we fall out of the reach of your love, your compassion, your forgiveness, and your deliverance. We bless you now in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen.